it's a pleasure to be here. You guys are my family, and I love to be here. So, uh, yeah, let's get, let's have everyone turn their Bibles open to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And while you guys are turning there, I'll just say a little bit about uh, where Elaine and I are with our, our missions and our f- support raising. And uh, we're, we're about at 50%, so we're halfway there, and we're hoping to be leaving for Ireland in October. And I just wanted to share with you guys a quick story. If you've been to the men's Bible study where I spoke at, you've heard this story, but I just wanted to share it with the rest of you guys. Our church in Calvary Church Boyle, uh, we have a little slogan, and it's finding hope in Jesus through the Bible. That's the message we want to see. We want people to see about us in Ireland as finding hope in Jesus through the Bible. Now, I want to, there's a little story that I like to tell that goes along with that, and it's it's about a missionary who is giving out little gospel of little pocket New Testaments. And uh, if you've ever seen a pocket New Testament, you know they're just small and, and uh, kind of hard to read if you've got bad eyesight. But he's giving out these pocket New Testaments, and uh, this guy comes up to him. And the missionary note recognizes him. And he says, didn't I give you one a couple weeks ago? And the guy kind of shuffles his feet, looks down, and he says, yeah, you gave me one, but and I, I promised you I would read it. And... Uh, but I noticed something about this this little pocket New Testament. He said, the pages of the book, I noticed were the perfect size and consistency to roll my cigarettes. And so before I would, you know, before I would roll a cigarette, I would read the, the page. He said, I smoked Matthew, I smoked Mark, I smoked Luke. But then he said, John smoked me. So he said, I'm sorry, sir, but if, if it's all right with you, can I get another pocket New Testament? And I love that illustration because it shows the power of God just by reading it. And, uh, and it is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So I just want to invite all of you together. Let's, let's uh, read Luke, and I want this to come alive to you guys. I don't want to talk about the, the idea of Jesus or the stories of Jesus. I want to talk about the, the living Savior who, if you were saved, is living inside of you right now. I want to talk about the living God. So let's read Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had got from them, and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats 
so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for just all, all, the, all the people in here who have either served, who have fam- family members or loved ones who have served uh, in our military to protect us so that we have the, the freedom to, to come together and, and worship and, and, uh, and sing and praise you and without, the, without fear of, of persecution. Lord, bless them and, uh, and just thank you for them. But Lord... Come alive to us today and speak to us. Speak directly to our hearts, directly to the parts that, that we want to hide away. Lord, uncover them and, and cleanse us and create in us new hearts every day. Lord, I ask again, just come alive to us today. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we have Luke chapter 5. There are some parallel um, verses in in the other gospel accounts, uh, same gospel, just different accounts from different people. That's in John chapter one, verse thirty-five through fifty-one. Mark chapter one, verse sixteen through twenty, and then Matthew chapter four, verse eighteen through twenty-two. But we see Luke gives us a lot more detail, and uh, I want to make something abundantly clear before we get too much more into this. When you read the Bible, one thing is abundantly clear. And that what is, what is made abundantly clear is that being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, it is a prerequisite. Let me read that again. Abundantly clear is being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. It, in fact, is a prerequisite. So if you are here today thinking that you want to be a Jesus follower, but you're like, yeah, but I've got this past, and... You know, you don't know what I think about. You don't know where I've been. The good news is, when you meet Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of Jesus' followers, you, you realize being a sinner and having a past, having things that you hope no one ever finds out about, doesn't disqualify you and is actually a prerequisite. In fact, if you're sitting here today and you can't identify with, with anything that I've said, and you know you don't really have a past, or you, know, you don't have anything that you're ashamed of, you know you think you're pretty good in standing with God. I want to ask you to question yourself about: Do you really understand who God is, and do you really understand who you are? But also, if you're sitting here trying to decide where you stand with Jesus, and you're deciding what do you believe, and you know what do I believe and what do I not believe? The good news is you can begin to follow him. It's not easy, and it might be a little embarrassing, but you can follow Jesus. There are many people who followed Jesus before he was crucified and came back to life. There were small business owners. There were a couple of IRS agents. There were a couple of patriots, very like on fire for Israel and all against Rome. 
So much so that, that they would pick off Roman soldiers by the onesies or the twosies when they were secluded and assassinate them. These were called zealots. So they thought maybe Jesus would help them kick the Romans out. There were men, there were women, there were blue-collar, there were white-collar. There were some uneducated people, and there were also some very educated people. I want to emphasize that there were some very educated people that followed Jesus because in today's secular schools and the universities, one thing that is predominant that, that the professors may believe is, uh, and your, your children or your grandchildren will be taught, uh, one of the reasons we know for sure that the apostles didn't write Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is because those accounts were written in Greek. And these were poor, ignorant fishermen who spoke Aramaic. They couldn't even write Aramaic. They couldn't even write the language of their own people, Hebrew, let alone Greek. So how in the world could, could they write these sophisticated texts in Greek? Therefore, we know they didn't actually write them, and they were written many years after the fact. Therefore, they cannot be trusted. But there is a problem with that thinking. If you actually read the accounts of Jesus, you find out there were some very educated people who followed Jesus. In fact, Matthew records in his writings, Matthew 8:19, a certain scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, scribes were very educated people, able, able to read and write, very unusual in that culture, and usually fluent in at least two, maybe even three languages. So this idea that there were just a bunch of uneducated people that followed Jesus is old, old news. And there's really no evidence to substantiate that. So we know there were all kinds of people who followed Jesus. Now, let me introduce you to a couple of his followers. And let me give you some background on what's happening so far in the life of Jesus. So previously in Luke. John the Baptist shows up on the banks of the Jordan River. He draws a big crowd. And then he points that big crowd's attention towards Jesus. And just when you thought Jesus was going to start his big public ministry with this big crowd, Jesus goes off into the wilderness to be tempted by by Satan. And it's it's kind of funny. Jesus doesn't eat for 40 days. It's like, you know, being tempted by Jesus just isn't quite enough. Let me tie both my hands behind my back and let's let's really fight. And uh, this whole the whole reason for that was was to to show that and display that Jesus was not here for the kingdoms of this world, but for the kingdom of God. This theme continues throughout the life of Jesus, especially when the going gets tough. But Jesus proves to us what he is really here for, the fulfillment of the story of Israel. That is the end of the separation between God and man and the beginning of the coming of the kingdom of God. After the wilderness, Jesus walked up to Galilee, and news of him spread throughout the countryside. And thousands of people came to see him. After synagogue, Jesus goes over to Simon Peter's house. It doesn't say why. Maybe Peter invited him over for lunch. But Simon's mother-in-law was sick. And so he told Jesus, he said, Hey, my mother-in-law has this fever that just won't go away. So Jesus goes to, his, to Simon's house. And heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. News of this began to leak out in the community. And that night when the sun went down, Luke tells us all those who had 
any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, who then laid his hands on every one of them and healed every single one of them. We tend to read right past this and miss the significance of what is going on here because in this culture and in this day and age, this faith system, you are not supposed to touch sick and dying people. Because the ideal was, and they, were, they didn't have a concept of germs at this time, but the, the idea was that you would be contaminated. This was a cultural thing. This was spiritual rules that they lived by. Now, Jesus touched sick and dying people, and instead of him receiving the illness, they would receive healing. This was overwhelming in this culture. People associated sin with sickness. How can you tell if a person has the power to forgive, you sin, to forgive your sin? You can't really tell. But if a person can lay hands on someone and make them physically well, you have just given me a huge clue that you might have the power to heal my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Because sin and sickness went together. So Jesus begins healing people, laying hands on and healing people, and this sets the stage for what happens next. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. What happens next is described in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, if, when you read the Bible, there is one single interpretation for that scripture. It doesn't mean anything else. There's one, one interpretation. But there's many applications that you can get from one verse in the scripture. So the parallel passages, I have to be honest, I'm not sure that they are telling the exact same story. They may be telling of different times, but the evidence points me to believe that these are equivalent to each other. So Matthew tells us, Jesus said, follow me. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Mark gives us the same amount of detail, but Luke, I believe, gives us greater detail as to what goes down at the Sea of Galilee, or also known as Lake Gennesaret. Verse 1 through 3. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that, that he stood by the Lake of Gennesaret. So Jesus is teaching the crowd. The crowd is pushing closer and closer. And I, I guess Jesus didn't feel like walking on water yet. So he looks over and he sees two boats. And it goes on. He saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. The reason they were washing their nets is because they had been fishing all night. So this means that it must have been morning. Their, their time for fishing was at night. That's when the, you know, the fish would be closer to the surface. This would be easier for the nets to get the fish. So they had already been fishing. They're cleaning their nets. You know, they're getting the beer cans out. They're stretching them out, drying them out. They'd roll them up and take a break. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught, them, taught the multitudes from the boat. Now they can come right up to the water's edge. Jesus has a little distance, and it's good acoustics. They can hear him well. Now we know that it's not just Peter listening, but James and John were also listening, and perhaps even Andrew. 
And when he is done with his sermon, he gives an invitation. Not a come forward invitation, not a drop everything and follow me invitation, but a let's go fishing invitation. After they heard all his teaching, all the things that Jesus was teaching, he turns around and makes an unrational request, but a doable request. This is is important. It's unrational, but it's doable. Verse 4, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch into the deep and let down your nets for catch. He doesn't say, drop everything and follow me. He gives Simon Peter a baby step. He says, hey, since we're already out here, let's, let's let down the nets. But since they had already been cleaned, Luke goes on and says, Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Notice the title Jesus gives. Uh, it's not rabbi or lord. It's just a sign of respect. Master. He says, okay, Master, um, just so you know, we've worked hard, hard all night. In other words, we're tired. And, and we haven't caught anything. We haven't caught anything when you're supposed to fish. What makes you think we're going to catch fish when you're not supposed to fish? Peter was probably thinking, besides, aren't you a carpenter? What, what do you know about fishing? And besides, you've drawn quite a crowd. People are watching. This is embarrassing. But here's the transition. And if I could invite all of you who are on the edge, all of you who are still considering who Jesus is, all of you who are nice and comfy in your religion, but is starting to get a little dry, this is the transition. This would change Peter's life forever. He says, Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net. Despite being a little embarrassed, despite maybe losing some reputation, and losing a day of work, which would then cost him money, Simon Peter says, because you say so. I mean, you did heal my mother-in-law. I probably owe you one. Okay, I will let down my nets. And let's just pause for a second. Think of what Peter didn't know. They had no idea of what hung in the balance of this simple little baby step. And I want to ask you, folks, we have no idea what hangs in the balance by saying no to a simple invitation to take a next step. When they had done, not when they believed, not when they heard, not when they had prayed about it, but when they had acted on what Jesus asked them to do, Just listening is like unapplied paint. It serves no purpose. It's when you apply the paint, it's when you act on what Jesus is asking you to do that makes a difference. So when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he said, We're rich! We will have to work for weeks. Immediately, Peter offered Jesus a seven-year contract. (laughs) Peter's only concern was, will this model scale? Get it? Scale. He fell down at Jesus. He didn't didn't say that. I just made that up. Some of you are thinking, man, 
I should really read my Bible. No, I just, I just made that up. Yeah, he fell, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Here's a new title. Oh, Lord. Did, why a new title? Did Jesus become something Jesus wasn't before? No. Suddenly, it's a title of authority. Suddenly, it's a title of ownership. And why does he tell Jesus to get away from him? He tells us, because I am a sinful man. We see Peter's assumption was the assumption of the rest of the Jewish world, that God distances himself and keeps himself distance from sinners. The, relig- the religious leaders of the day certainly distance themselves from sinners. Suddenly, Peter realizes this isn't just some good teacher. This isn't even just some great miracle worker. This person somehow is from God. And Peter thinks, I have no business being in the same world as this guy, let alone the same boat. So, Jesus came to completely change the relationship between God and mankind. And being a sinner is a prerequisite. A little, and little did Peter know the ginormous role he will play in God's kingdom. And it all started with a little baby step to go fishing. And it goes on. For he and all who were with him were astonished. That's a little bit of an understatement. They were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, I think he said this with a big grin on his face. On his face. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And these four guys would die with nothing, including regret. And they followed him. And I think you would have too. I think your parents would say, yeah, go, go. So as I conclude, I, we come to the point in the scripture where I want to ask you the so what. So what? What does this have to do with me? What is the story? What does Jesus have to do with me? And, and, and here's where I want to point you to. And here's the main point that I want, well, that I want to leave you with. You might say, yeah, if God did something like that for me, I would follow him. If God did something great and miraculous, if God would just answer my prayer, this one prayer I've been, I've been asking for a while, I would follow him. To which Peter would say, what? You, yeah, yeah, you know, if God would just do, do something wondrous for me, I would follow him. Peter would say, what? He did a little fish trick for me. He did a fish trick for me. He would say, do you know what he did for you? And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read from First Peter, and and this is what I think Peter would say to us right now. <laughs> Who, when he was reviled, 
when they hurled their insults at him, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins and his own body on the tree for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Peter, if he were here today, I think would say, I saw with my own eyes. I saw him taken. I saw him arrested. I saw him beaten. I saw him crucified. Peter would ask us, have you ever seen a crucifixion? To which we would say no. Have you ever heard a crucifixion? Have you ever smelled a crucifixion? Have you heard the screaming of fully grown men who know it's going to take hours for them to hang there and die? Have you ever seen, have you ever experienced that? To which we would say no, and I don't, I don't think I ever want to. Peter would say, look, I've been there, and I've seen it. I saw my friend Jesus crucified. And when he suffered, he made no threats. I'm telling you, this is unbelievable. Nobody did this. They screamed to die. They screamed and hurled insults to everyone in the vicinity. And my friend Jesus hung there and did none of that. Instead, he entrusted himself to God the Father, who deals justly. But to us, Peter would say, it was the most unjust thing imaginable. But it was just as if, as if somehow he knew this was all a part of a bigger plan. And later, not in the moment, but later, because when he was arrested, I ran. I ran and even denied I even knew his name. And then on the edge of the crowd with my hoodie up because I didn't want people to recognize me, I watched this man who was no mere man die. And Three days later, I can't make this stuff up. Three days later, he came back to to life, and I realized that he bore our sins in his body on that cross so that we might die to sin. Instead of being dead to and separated from God, because of Jesus, we now have a new intimate relationship with God to live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Fish tricks, that's nothing. Do you know what he did for you? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul for, for their writings. Thank you for preserving them supernaturally and miraculously through through time so that we can read them accurately and with confidence. Lord, I pray that, that you would change our hearts and our lives, that you would work mightily in us, and that that we would wrestle with this question, do we really know what Jesus did for us? Lord, may we meditate on that every week, Remind us and help us to apply that to our lives. Lord, if there are some in here today who are wrestling with with what they believe about Jesus or what they don't believe about him, 
Lord, I ask that, that, that the crucifixion, the resurrection, the story of Jesus, the story of Israel would become real to them. That they would make that decision. Lord, thank you for today. Protect us as, as we go. Thank you again for all those who have, who have served in our military to protect us, who have died, who have given the ultimate sacrifice. Lord, thank you for your son who gave the ultimate sacrifice so that, that we might have a new relationship with our Father in heaven. Lord, thank you. I pray us all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.